The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. We're going to look at it in Luke. Luke chapter 9. Um, and uh, I have to warn you, we're about to hear something you probably don't want to hear. <clears throat> Right? So uh, when I wrote a book on this topic a couple years ago, this was still fresh news. It was news nobody in St. Louis wanted to hear. We just won the World Series. Everybody's real happy. You know what's coming, right? Albert Pujols, we find out one day, he's leaving. Nobody wanted to hear that. It's like, can we tell this story without that part? You know, the part where we have the best baseball player in our generation on our team for over a decade, and he sets these phenomenal numbers, and we win the World Series, and our Hall of Fame manager retires and goes out on a high note. What an awesome story. Can we tell this story and just leave out one little part? You know, that part where that great player goes somewhere else for more money? Can we... Can we we like the, all the story except for that one little part. Can we tell this story without that one little part? Uh, we're about to read a passage that has something like that in it. We're going to read this text and we're going to be like, oh, we love all this stuff. We love this part where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they get it completely wrong. And, and then Peter says, you're the Messiah of God. Yeah, Peter, way to go. We love, can we? And then Jesus is going to say something about Self-denial. Jesus, why do you have to go mess up a good thing? Can we tell this story and leave that one little part out? <laughs> no, we can't. Um, let's read the text, e- even the part we may think we don't like. Now, before the morning's over, God's going to be with us. He's going to help us. And we're going to love even the part of the story that right now we might feel like we don't like. Let's read, starting with verse 18 of Luke chapter 9. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Okay, I just love that part, right? (laughs) Jesus was praying in private, but he had 12 guys with him. It's just a little funny little detail. Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it, will 
end our reading there. Is there a way to tell this story without that one part that we might not like? Well, here's the thing. Um, we love this idea that, that Christ is forming his character in us and that one day when we grow up into him, Paul uses that language in Ephesians chapter 4, when we grow up into the one who is the head of the body, then we will be like him. That's a glorious hope. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, especially to be able to look at an area of your life and say, I am not, I am not as Christ-like as I want to be in that part of my life, but one day I will get there. That's a, that's a positive thing. That's a great hope. One of the reasons that we know that this idea of Christ-likeness is not just an idea the church made up is because of the very verse that we kind of don't like. The verse that mentions this call to deny ourselves is actually one of the strongest testimonies we have in Scripture that, that Jesus wants us to grow up to be like him. That this is not an idea Paul made up. It's not an idea John the Apostle made up. It's not an idea that some church father in a later century made up. Jesus wants us to be like him. And he says so right here in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, I'm getting ready to walk somewhere. I want you to walk with me where I go. Your life will look like mine. Where I go, you go. I go, you follow. My example is the one, my footsteps are the ones you follow. Here's Jesus saying, I want you to be like me. He must deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus just got finished saying what was going to happen to him at the end of his life. The son of man must suffer many things, he says in verse 22, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed. Jesus is headed to death and he invites us to go to death. Take up a cross. Take up a kind of thing used to kill people. I am going to die. I want you to follow me. And I'm setting the pattern. Grow up and be like me. And follow me. Follow me. Again, go where I go. Let my life be the life that shapes yours. So this idea of growing up to be Christ-like is um, it's not our idea. It's Jesus' idea. But right at the heart of it is this thing that we often don't understand because we, we're kind of afraid to find out what it means. What does it mean for us to deny ourselves? If we want to be like Jesus, we've got to learn what that means. If we want to learn what it means to come after him to follow him then sandwiched in between that invitation come after me follow me is this challenge to deny ourselves so we need to learn what that's about here's the first thing we need to do we need to recognize um, what's going on in the context we've already said the context involves this call to imitation, to Christ-likeness. Come after me, follow me. I'm going to my death. 
Take up your cross. My life is the pattern for your life. We've seen that. We need to see also that what's happening in this context is a question of identity. Who do the crowd say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's going to become important later because it, it, it shapes how we understand what Jesus means when he talks about denying ourselves. It relates to who am I at the most fundamental level? Who am I? Okay. So, that's a little bit about context. Now let's define what self-denial is. If we want to practice Christ-like self-denial. And look, we may not feel like we want to practice it. Okay, because it sounds a little scary. We're Americans, right? I mean, most of us in the room are, you know, we're from the land of the free and the home of the brave, and this is where men make themselves. They don't deny themselves. <laughs> we are self-made men. We, we're, we're a country uh, that, that's all about, you know, grabbing that opportunity and, and making something out of your life and, and self-assertion. And that, that just sounds like it's not compatible with self-denial. So already there's something in Jesus' words that sounds like it's just completely at odds with our culture. Um, now Jesus has to win over our culture every time. But um, that, that's going to be uncomfortable. So let, let's find out what it is exactly that Jesus is calling us to when he says to deny yourself. <clears throat> Here's how we usually understand that. Denying yourself means don't eat the third brownie. Right? Denying yourself means there's something you want and you don't do it. That, that's how most Christians understand self-denial. Find something you really want and don't do it. Define a desire you have. And say no to that desire. I desire to stay in bed an extra hour this morning. But to be a good dad. To be a good husband. To be a good pastor. To be a good elder. To be a good church member. I'm not going to stay in bed an extra hour this morning. I want to be out playing golf on this beautiful Sunday morning. But I'm going to say no to that desire. And I'm going to go to church. I want to be ice fishing. I want to be hunting deer. I want to be doing something besides... The thing God's, but I'm going to say no to my desire. And, and we tend to think of self-denial as kind of the opposite of self-indulgence. So rather than indulging that desire, I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to say no to it. And no wonder we don't like the idea of self-denial because we just associate it with just this no, 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 no to all the fun stuff. The stuff you really want to do, you don't get to do because you're denying yourself. Hmm. What I want to tell you is actually frightening. Jesus is asking for something a whole lot harder than that. Jesus is asking you and me not to say no to one desire, but to say no to your whole person, to your whole self. What? What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? the best way to figure out what this means is to remember a story that you already know well. 
If you want to know what it means to deny not a desire, but a self, a whole person, then we need to go to a biblical story where somebody denies a whole person. Do you know any stories where somebody denies a person? Maybe repeatedly, maybe three times on the same night, denies a person. Yeah, you know the story, right? Now look, we're going to tell a story about Peter denying Jesus three times on the night he was arrested. Peter is not being a good role model here. We're not supposed to do what Peter's doing. But what we will learn is when the Bible talks about denying someone, what does it mean? And then we'll see how Peter treated Jesus that night. Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves in the same way. So what what happens? Peter is in this courtyard. You know, he's curious. He's at a distance. He doesn't really want to be associated with Jesus because he doesn't want to be arrested. He doesn't want to be put to death. And yet he's kind of hanging back. And you know this. You know how the story goes. And somebody says, hey, aren't you one of them? Aren't, weren't you with them? And, and Peter denies Jesus. He says, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then later, somebody hears him talking and says, look at your accent. You're from South Carolina, aren't you? Um, you're not from around here. You're from up north in Galilee, which is about a three days journey by foot to Jerusalem. Um, it's not, you know, you didn't cover that distance just like that. You could tell a difference between the, I hear your accent. Aren't you Galilean? You're one of them. I don't know what you're talking about. Second denial. Jesus had predicted it, right? Before the rooster crows, you will Deny me. There's that verb deny, followed by a person. Deny me. Three times. And then a third time, Peter does the same thing. And every time, what is Peter doing? He is saying, I have no allegiance to that man. That man over there doesn't control how I think, he doesn't control how I act, he doesn't tell me how to live. That man over there does not define who I am. That's what it means to deny a person. So when Jesus says, deny yourself. That's what he means. He means that as as followers of him, what we say about ourselves is. I have no allegiance to this man. I do not control how I think or talk or act. I do not tell myself how to live. I do not define who I am. That's what it means to practice self-denial. Self-denial isn't the opposite of self-indulgence. I won't have the third brownie. Self-denial is the opposite of self-definition. I am going to say who I am. I am going to determine what my priorities are. Self-denial is exactly what Jesus says in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You get the idea? I'm going to be denying myself because it's Jesus. Then I'm looking, Jesus, you tell me who I am. Jesus, you define who I am. 
Jesus, you tell me how to think and act and live. Jesus, my allegiance is not to me anymore. It is to you. That's self-denial. Self-denial happens not when we are just focused on one little desire and saying no to it. Self-denial happens when we're focused on Jesus. And we're saying, you get to tell me. You get to tell me what's most important about me. You know how this works like in real estate? Real estate agents do this all. I don't know if we have any real estate agents in the room or somebody who may at one point have worked in real estate. Um, but uh, you know how real estate agents have this sort of way of, of focusing attention on certain parts of a property they're trying to sell. Like I had a friend one time with this um, nasty driveway, uh, you know, just kind of like almost like 45 degree angle. And the sort of thing where if you didn't get the angle of a vehicle just right going in, you were going to bottom out every time, scrape the bumper off, you know, just all kind of damage, sparks flying everywhere. And, and if you held your tongue just right and scooted over to the far side of the driver's seat, you might be able to make it up that driveway without damaging something. And um, just a terrible thing. And, and my friend's getting ready to sell his house. And so he talks to one of the elders of our church who's a real estate agent and says, Lou, I need you to help me sell my house. We come over and look at it. And they're looking at it. And my friend Mark is looking at his driveway and going, Lou, it's going to be hard to sell this house with that driveway, isn't it? And Lou, you know, real estate guy, he looks at it and he says, it's a non-positive. <laughs> you know, it's, um, we're not going to draw attention to that. That's not the most important thing about your house. It's a non-positive. Let's focus on something else. And, and that's kind of how the real estate world works. You know, don't look at the leaking shower. What about this fireplace? I mean, isn't that awesome? Don't look at what the kids have done with crayons down the hallway. What about this kitchen? You know, let the real estate agent's job is to tell you what's most important about that house to sort of get you to focus on that's what self-denial is all about self-denial is is jesus saying from now on if you follow me you don't get to say what's most important about you anymore you may think the most important thing about you is that ratty driveway and Jesus might look at it and say, you know, that's a non-positive. But it's not the most important thing about you. Self-denial means we ask someone else what's most important about us. Jesus, what do you say is most important about me? And, and that's why it was important earlier we saw in the context. Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? What does everybody else say is most important about me? Who do they say that I am? And then Jesus is kind of like, I really don't care what they say that I am. My father says this about me. My father says that I must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and, and I must be killed and I must be raised to life. And I don't care what anybody else says. Because what my father has spoken is what is most important about me. It uses that word, little word in verse uh, 22, the word must. The Son of Man must suffer many things. 
must. It's that same word we saw last night. It is necessary that this woman be set free. It's that word that in Luke, in the book of Acts, means there's something God wants to happen in this world, and it has to happen this way. And Jesus is saying, that's who defines my life. That's who gets to say what's most important about me is my Heavenly Father. And I am inviting you to do the same thing. So instead of you having to wake up every morning and say, what's most important about me as a man? What's most important about me as a daddy? What's most important about me as a, as a husband? You don't do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. Because Jesus is inviting you to deny yourself and to look to him and say, Jesus, here I am. You tell me what's the most important thing about me. And so what's really happening here is Jesus is inviting us to freedom. There's a lot of pressure that comes if the most important thing about you is what group you belong to. Because then you've got to work hard to stay in that group. Do I belong to the group of guys who are physically fit? You've got to work hard to stay in that group. If that's the most important thing about you and you start to get a little soft around the edges or you injure your hamstring and can't keep up with your son at cross-country practice, hypothetically speaking, anymore. If the most important thing about me is that I belong to this group of guys who define themselves by this physical characteristic, that can be gone in a moment. That can be over. That can be done. There will always be somebody who's more fit. Always be somebody who's better looking. Always be somebody who's harder around the middle than you are. And when Jesus says, you know what the most important thing about you is not that you're part of that group. The most important thing about you is not that you belong to the right church group. I want to be an elder. I'm not. That's not the most important thing about you. I grew up Baptist and now I'm in a Presbyterian church and I don't quite feel at home. That's not the most important thing about you. I'm white, not black. That's not the most important thing about you. I speak English, not Spanish. That is not the most important thing about you. I'm from Wisconsin. That's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you, once you choose to follow Jesus, once he invites you to be his, the most important thing about you is Jesus. From that moment, forever. That's the most important thing about you. Jesus is inviting us for, to freedom because we're defined by belonging to him, not by belonging to some group. Okay, we started easy. We're going to get harder now. We're going to go deeper. We're men. It is easy for us to define ourselves according to our accomplishments. What have we achieved? What have we produced? What have we gotten done today? That is not the most important thing about you. 
have you earned more money than your punk little brother? Have you made a better career for yourself than your older brother who always looked down on you and all the family always liked him better than you? That is not the most important thing about you. Did you get that promotion faster than the guy behind you at work? Did you make your first million before you were 40? What have you accomplished? What have you achieved? What have you obtained, produced? We live in a world that says that's the most important thing about you. And that will wear you out in a big hurry. And Jesus is saying, come with me. I want to lead you on a path of freedom. I'm going to warn you up front. This path has a cross at the end of it. Well, not quite the end. At the end is resurrection glory. But there is a cross. And yet, there's also this freedom. This freedom to say, the most important thing about me is not that I'm always getting something done. It's not that I'm always ticking everything off my to-do list every day. It's not that I've done enough finally to impress my dad who never quite was satisfied with his son. That's not the most important thing about me. That's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about us is that we belong to Jesus. I was um, serving part-time as an associate pastor at a church in uh, South Carolina where my mentor, Archie Moore, was a senior pastor. We were visiting um, one of our members in the hospital. And we bumped into a lady in the hallway as we were waiting to get into a hospital room and she was just coming out from visiting someone and we were just ch- kind of chatting. We didn't know this lady, had never met her before. And, and she asked, you know, what, what brings you up here today? Are you visiting family? And we said, no, we're uh, pastors. We're visiting one of our members who's uh, in the hospital here. And she said, oh, you're a pastor. I just, I love belonging to so-and-so church. I, I'm there every time the doors are open. I'm involved in the ladies club and the Bible study and this and this and this. And I'm there every day, every time the doors are open. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? And, and Archie just smiled at her, grinned, and he shook his head. And he said, no. <laughs> it's about Jesus. And his righteousness. That's what it's all about. You see what I'm saying? He heard her telling this story in which the most important thing about her was. All her accomplishments, all the things she's doing. And he understands not the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is Jesus. We don't have to define ourselves according to what group we belong to. We don't have to define ourselves according to what we've accomplished. We don't have to define ourselves according to our reputation. What do other people think of me when they look at me? You don't, that's not the most important thing about you. Other people might think... 
that you're a slacker at work because you don't work as much overtime as everybody else because you're going home to be with your family. And let them think it. Because it doesn't matter. What they think of you is not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is Jesus. That's what self-denial means. It's that daily walking behind Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm hearing lots of voices telling me what's really important about me today. And there's only one voice that matters. Your voice. Who do you say that I am? What do you think is most important about me? You tell me the answer to that question. Finally, Jesus is setting us free from defining ourselves according to what we possess or what we enjoy or what we lose or what we lack. What, if I have it or don't have it. If I enjoy it or don't get to enjoy it. We live in a world that just. That's, that is considered the most important thing about us so many times. Do you have as much as the next guy? Is your house as big? Is your boat as big? Is your truck as nice? Is your golf game as good? Are your clubs as new? You name it. What do you possess? What do you not possess? That's the most important thing about you. And so it's this constant scramble to have, have, have. Do you have the iPhone 3? Do you have the 5? Do you have the 6? I've got an iPhone 10. I'm better than all of you. It's the most important thing about me is do I have the latest gadget to keep up with everybody else? And no, you don't. There's always somebody else who's got the better gadget. The bigger screen. The That's not the most important thing about you. It's a rat race. It'll kill you. It'll suck the life completely out of you. I may never get to go on vacation in Hawaii. I may never enjoy that privilege. It's okay. That's not the most important thing about me. The most important thing about me is Jesus. Not where I get the vacation or don't get the vacation. And if I could be pointed for a moment. This is where Jesus sets us free from sexual temptation. Because we live in a world that says the most important thing about you is whether you're getting as much action as everyone else. And if you're not, you're missing out. And that's the, you don't want your life to be defined by what you're missing out on. And I'm working so hard to be faithful to my wife and the next guy over. He's... he's He's experiencing some things I'm missing out on. He gets to see things every day that I never get to see. And at some point, that nagging little voice begins to say, that's really what's most important thing about you. Is do you have sexual desires that are going unmet, unfulfilled? And Jesus walks in and says, wait a minute. Let me set you free. Let me say to you, that's a lie. And the most important thing about you is not what you enjoy or don't enjoy. The most important thing about you is not some experience you get to have that somebody else doesn't have. The most important thing about you is me. 
Let me just set you free from that lie. You don't have to worry if somebody on a college campus somewhere is sleeping with five girls tonight at once. He's killing his soul. And he can't have that and have me at the same time. And if you have me, I will make sure that you have everything you could ever need forever. I'll give you something better than what you could desire for yourself. I am the most important thing about you. That is self-denial. When Jesus says, who do they say that I am? And then he says, you know what? My father says what is most important about me. And then he's inviting us to do the same thing. To say, look around you. Who do people think that you are? What would they say is most important about you? They're all wrong. <laughs> Follow me. Walk behind me. Come with me. And from now on, I want to be the most important thing about you. You don't ever have to set priorities for yourself ever again. Just look to me and I will tell you. I'll tell you what's most important. I'll tell you who you really are. We hear that call to self-denial and we think, ah, oh, really don't want it. Really doesn't sound good. And at the end we find out it's an invitation to freedom. That Jesus is setting us free. It's the most important thing about you. So, uh, I don't tell this story a lot. Around men, I can tell the story. You'll appreciate it properly. Um, sometimes around ladies, they just hear it and they think, you're nuts. Um, summer after my freshman year in college, standing out in my driveway, it's about a quarter mile long, see this um, red uh, Pontiac Firebird. It was the hot car, you know, in 1989 or so. T-tops with, with the glass out, you know, music blaring. I don't recognize this car. Maybe they just found the wrong street. They're turning around my driveway. No problem. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. They've backed into my daddy's truck. Um, okay, I start walking toward because I figured they're going to park the car and we're going to sort this all out. We'll get their information. Insurance will take care of it. No problem. But the car doesn't park. They pull away. They start coming back down the driveway. And um, so I step out into the driveway, expecting that maybe now they're going to stop. They don't stop. I hold up my hands. Because, look, one of the most important things about me is I belong to my daddy. I, I love it. You don't do this to my daddy. <laughs> you don't run into my daddy's truck sitting in his front yard and then drive away. Stop. We're going to talk. Guy sticks his head out the window and says, I, I'll stop as soon as you move. Look, I may be a college freshman, but I ain't that stupid. You know, Sir, please um, stop the car so we can talk about what just happened. I think you just crashed in my dad's truck. And, and uh, so he's like, mm, no, I'm not going to do it. If you don't move, I'm going to run over you. Sir, please, t you know, would you take the keys out of your car and put them on the ground so I know you're not going anywhere so we can work this thing out? Nope, I'm going to run over you if you don't move. 
five, four, three, two, poof, he slams on the gas, and I am really kind of an idiot. I'm a college freshman. Instead of moving out of the way, you know what I do? I jump straight up in the air. And poof, land on top of the car with my torso on the windshield, and I am now staring down at the driver like this through that open T-top. The glass is out, and I'm wrapping my arm around the bar in the middle of the T. I'm like, sir, you really need to stop the car. <laughs> and he says, okay, here's your chance to get off, or you're going with us. There's another guy riding in the car. I'm like, no. It's one of the most important things about me. There's that man in that house over there, and you don't treat him this way. And uh, so, like, I'm, I'm not moving. So, you know, long story short, we wind up three miles down the road. And I have what I call a wind wedgie <laughs> from, um, you know, like 80 miles an hour with a pair of shorts. <laughs> uh, highway patrol gets involved. Liquor bottles flying out as we're driving down the road. You know, they're throwing pills and, and everything out the car. And, um, yeah, that was kind of a dumb thing to do, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was. But sometimes you do crazy things when you're not thinking about yourself. The most important thing about me at that moment wasn't being sane being responsible, being adult. The most important thing wasn't staying physically safe. Thankfully, God was taking care of that. <laughs> he kept me safe. The most important thing in my mind at that moment was simply my father's honor. And I, when I'm not centered on myself, I can do some crazy things. Now, I'm not saying go jump on a car before the day is over, right? Not, my daddy wasn't happy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but it's just a little taste of what it means to, to be free when we follow Jesus. And say, so, you know, the most important thing about me is not me, it's someone else. And, and that can free me up to do some things that may... That may seem really crazy. It's crazy to take up a cross and follow somebody to the place of crucifixion. But it can be kind of exciting too. So Jesus says, from now on, I'm the most important thing about you. You don't have to worry about yourself. I'll take care of you. You follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for keeping us safe in you. Thank you for telling us who we really are and silencing all the lying voices that want to speak to us, um, speak things that are not true. Help us to live boldly and um, to love you with all that we are following you wherever you lead us. We pray in your name. Amen.